0: Chapter Thirty One The Ordeal of Richard Feverel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Ordeal of Richard Feverel by George Meredith. Chapter Thirty One General withdrawing of heads from street windows, emigration of organs and bands, and a relaxed atmosphere in the circle of Mrs. Berry's abode proved that Dan Cupid had veritably flown to suck the life of fresh regions. With a pensive mind, she grasped Ripton's arm to regulate his steps, and returned to the room where her creditor awaited her. In the interval he had stormed her undefended fortress, the Cake, from which altitude he shook a dolorous head at the guilty woman. She smoothed her excited apron, sighing. Let no one imagine that she regretted her complicity. She was ready to cry torrents, but there must be absolute castigation before this criminal shall conceive the sense of regret and probably then she will cling to her wickedness the more such is the born pagan's tenacity mrs berry sighed and gave him back his shake of the head oh you wanton improvident creature said he oh you very wise old gentleman said she he asked her the thing she had been doing she enlightened him with the fatalist reply he sounded a bogey's alarm of contingent grave results. She retreated to the entrenched camp of the fact she had helped to make. It's done, she exclaimed. How could she regret what she felt comfort to know was done? Convinced that events alone could stamp a mark on such stubborn flesh. He determined to wait for them, and crouched silent on the cake, with one finger downwards at Ripton's incision there, showing a crumbling chasm and gloomy rich recess. The eloquent indication was understood. "'Dear, dear!' cried Mrs. Berry. "'What a heap cake, and no one to send it to!' Ripton had resumed his seat by the table and his embrace of the claret clear ideas of satisfaction had left him, and resolved to a boiling geyser of indistinguishable transports. He bubbled and waggled, and nodded amicably to nothing, and successfully, though not without effort, preserved his uppermost member from the seductions of the nymph Gravitation, who was on the lookout for his whole length shortly. "'Ha-ha!' he shouted about a minute after Mrs. Berry had spoken, and almost abandoned himself to the nymph on the spot. Mrs. Berry's words had just reached his wits. "'Why do you laugh, young man?' she inquired, familiar and motherly on account of his condition. Ripton laughed louder, and caught his chest on the edge of the table and his nose on a chicken. "'That's good,' he said, recovering and rocking under Mrs. Berry's eyes. "'No friend.' "'I did not say no friend,' she remarked. "'I said no one. "'Mainan, I know not wherefore to send it to.' "'Ripton's response to this was, "'You put a griffin on that cake. We chiefs, each side.' "'Is crest?' Mrs. Berry said sweetly. "'Oldest baronetcy in England,' waved Ripton.' yes mrs berry encouraged him on you think he's richards we're obliged to be very close and she's the most lovely if i hear man say thing against her you needn't far to cry over her young man said mrs berry i wanted for to drink their right ells by their right names and then go about my day's work and i do hope you won't keep me ripton stood bolt upright at her words you do he said and filling a bumper, he, with cheerfully vinous articulation and glibness of tongue, proposed the health of Richard and Lucy Feverell of Raynham Abbey, and that mankind should not require an expeditious example of the way to accept the inspiring toast, he drained his bumper at a gulp. It finished him. The farthing rushlight of his reason leapt and expired. He tumbled to the sofa, and there stretched. Some minutes subsequent to Ripton's signalization of his devotion to the bridal pair, Mrs. Berry's maid entered the room to say that a gentleman was inquiring below after the young gentleman who had departed, and found her mistress with a tottering wine-glass in her hand, exhibiting every symptom of unconsoled hysterics. Her mouth gaped as if the fell creditor had her by the swallow, She ejaculated with horrible exultation that she had been and done it, as her disastrous aspect seemed to testify, and her evident but inexplicable access of misery induced the sympathetic maid to tender those caressing words that were all Mrs. Berry wanted, to go off into the self-caressing fit without delay and she had already given the preluding demoniac ironic outburst when the maid called heaven to witness that the gentleman would hear her upon which mrs berry violently controlled her bosom and ordered that he should be shown upstairs instantly to see her the wretch she was she repeated the injunction the maid did as she was told and mrs berry wishing first to see herself as she was mutely accosted the looking-glass and tried to look a very little better she dropped a shawl on ripton and was settled smoothing her agitation when her visitor was announced the gentleman was adrian harley An interview with Tom Bakewell had put him on the track, and now a momentary survey of the table and its white-vested cake made him whistle. Mrs. Berry plaintively begged him to do her the favor to be seated. A fine morning, ma'am, said Adrian. It have been, Mrs. Berry answered, glancing over her shoulder at the window and gulping as if to get her heart down from her mouth. A very fine spring, pursued Adrian, calmly anatomizing her countenance. Mrs. Berry smothered an adjective to weather on a deep sigh. Her wretchedness was palpable. In proportion to it, Adrian waned cheerful and brisk. He divined enough of the business to see that there was some strange intelligence to be fished out of the culprit who sat compressing hysterics before him, and as he was never more in his element than when he had a sinner and a repentant prostrate abject sinner in hand his affable countenance might well deceive poor berry i presume these are mr thompson's lodgings he remarked with a look at the table mrs berry's head and the whites of her eyes informed him that they were not mr thompson's lodgings no "'said Adrian, and threw a carelessly inquisitive eye about him. "'Mr. Feverell is out, I suppose.' "'A convulsive start at the name, "'and two corroborating hands dropped on her knees, "'formed Mrs. Berry's reply. "'Mr. Feverell's man,' continued Adrian, "'told me I should be certain to find him here. "'I thought he would be with his friend, Mr. Thompson. "'I'm too late, I perceive.' "'Their entertainment is over. "'I fancy you have been having a party of them here, ma'am. "'A bachelor's breakfast?' "'In the presence of that cake, "'this observation seemed to mask an irony so shrewd "'that Mrs. Berry could barely contain herself. "'She felt she must speak. "'Making her face as deplorably propitiating as she could, "'she began, "'Sir, may I beg for to know your name?' Mr. Harley accorded her request. Groaning in the clutch of a pitiless truth, she continued, "'And you are Mr. Harley, that was. Oh, and you've come for Mr.' Mr. Richard Feverell was the gentleman Mr. Harley had come for. "'Oh, and it's no mistake, and he's of Raynham Abbey?' Mrs. Berry inquired. Adrian, very much amused, assured her that he was born and bred there. His father Sir Austin, wailed the black satin bunch from behind her handkerchief. Adrian verified Richard's descent. "'Oh, then, what have I been and done?' she cried, and stared blankly at her visitor. "'I been and married my baby. I been and married the bread out of my own mouth. "'Oh, Miss Darley, Miss Darley, I knew you when you was a boy that big, and wore jackets and all of you.' and it's my softness that's my ruin for i never can resist a man's asking look at that cake miss Darley. adrian followed her directions quite coolly wedding cake ma'am he said bride cake it is miss Darley. did you make it yourself ma'am The quiet ease of the question overwhelmed Mrs. Berry, and upset that train of symbolic representations by which she was seeking to make him guess the catastrophe, and spare her the furnace of confession. "'I did not make it myself, Mr. Arley,' she replied. "'It's a bought-cake, and I'm a lost woman. Little I dreamed when I had him in my arms, a baby, that I should some day be marrying him out of me own house. I little dreamed that.' "'Oh, why did he come to me? "'Don't you remember his old nurse "'when he was a baby in arms "'that went away so sudden "'and no fault of hers, Mr. Darley? "'The very morning after the night "'you got into Mr. Benson's cellar "'and got so tipsy on his, my "'I remember it clear as yesterday. "'And Mr. Benson was that angry "'he threatened to use the whip to you. "'And I helped put you to bed. "'I'm that very woman.' adrian smiled placidly at these reminiscences of his guileless youthful life well ma'am well he said he would bring her to the furnace won't you see it all kind sir mrs berry appealed to him in pathetic dumb show Doubtless by this time Adrian did see it all, and was mentally cursing at folly, and reckoning the immediate consequences, but he looked uninstructed, his peculiar dimple smile was undisturbed, his comfortable full-bodied posture was the same. "'Well, ma'am?' he spurred her on. Mrs. Berry burst forth. "'It were done this morning, Mr. Arley, in the church, at half-past eleven o'clock, or twenty-two, by license. Adrian was now obliged to comprehend a case of matrimony. "'Oh,' he said, like one who is as hard as facts, and as little to be moved, "'somebody was married this morning. Was it Mr. Thompson or Mr. Feverel Mrs. Berry shuffled up to Ripton, and removed the shawl from him, saying— Do we look like a new married bridegroom, Mr. Arley? Adrian inspected the oblivious Ripton with philosophic gravity. This young gentleman was at church this morning, he asked. Oh, quite reasonable and proper, then, Mrs. Berry begged him to understand. Of course, ma'am. Adrian lifted and let fall the stupid inanimate limbs of the gone wretch, puckering his mouth queerly. "'You were all reasonable and proper, ma'am. "'The principal male performer, then, is my cousin Mr. Feverell. "'He was married by you this morning, by license at your parish church, "'and came here, and ate a hearty breakfast, and left intoxicated.' "'Mrs. Berry flew out. I never drink a drop, sir. "'A more moderate young gentleman you never see. "'Oh, don't you think that now, Mr. Arley?' He was as upright in masterism's mind as you be. Aye, the wise youth nodded thanks to her for the comparison. I mean the other form of intoxication. Mrs. Berry sighed. She could say nothing on that score. Adrian desired her to sit down and compose herself and tell him circumstantially what had been done. She obeyed in utter perplexity at his perfectly composed demeanour. Mrs. Berry, as her recital declared, was no other than that identical woman who once in old days had dared to behold the baronet behind his mask, and had ever since lived in exile from the Raynham world, on a little pension regularly paid to her as an indemnity. She was that woman, and the thought of her made her almost accuse Providence for the betraying excess of softness it had endowed her with. How was she to recognize her baby grown a man? He came in a feigned name. Not a word of the family was mentioned. He came like an ordinary mortal, though she felt something more than ordinary to him. She knew she did. He came bringing a beautiful young lady, and on what grounds could she turn her back on them? Why, seeing that all was chaste and legal, why should she interfere to make them unhappy? So few the chances of happiness in this world. Mrs. Berry related the seizure of her ring. "'One wrench!' said the sobbing culprit. "'One! and me ring was off!' She had no suspicions, and the task of writing her name in the vestry book had been too enacting for a thought upon the other signatures." "'I dare say you were exceedingly sorry "'for what you had done,' said Adrian. "'Indeed, sir,' moaned Berry, "'I were and am, "'and would do your best to rectify the mischief, eh, ma'am?' "'Indeed, and indeed, sir, I would,' "'she protested solemnly. "'As of course you should, knowing the family. "'Where may these lunatics have gone to spend the moon?' "'Mrs. Berry swimmingly replied,' "'To the isle? I don't quite know, sir!' she snapped the indication short, and jumped out of the pit she had fallen into. Repentant as she might be, those dears should not be pursued and cruelly balked of their young bliss. Tomorrow, morrow if you please, Mr. Darley, not to-day!' "'A pleasant spot!' Adrian observed, smiling at his easy prey." By a measurement of dates he discovered that the bridegroom had brought his bride to the house on the day he had quitted Raynham, and this was enough to satisfy Adrian's mind that there had been concoction and chicanery. Chance, probably, had brought him to the old woman. Chance certainly had not brought him to the young one very well ma'am he said in answer to her petitions for his favorable offices with sir austin in behalf of her little pension and the bridal pair i will tell him you were only a blind agent in the affair being naturally soft and that you trust he will bless the consummation he will be in town tomorrow morning but one of you two must see him tonight An emetic kindly administered will set our our friend here on his legs. A bath and a clean shirt, and he might go. I don't see why your name should appear at all. Brush him up and send him to Bellingham by the seven o'clock train. He will find his way to Rainham. He knows the neighborhood best in the dark. Let him go and state the case. Remember, one of you must go.' With this fair prospect of leaving a choice of a perdition between the couple of unfortunates for them to fight and lose all their virtues over, Adrian said, "'Good morning.' Mrs. Berry touchingly arrested him. "'You ought to refuse a piece of his cake, Miss Darley? "'Oh, dear no, ma'am,' Adrian turned to the cake with alacrity i shall claim a very large piece richard has a great many friends who will rejoice to eat his wedding-cake cut me a fair quarter mrs berry put it in paper if you please i shall be delighted to carry it to them and apportion it equitably according to their several degrees of relationship Mrs. Berry cut the cake. Somehow, as she sliced through it, the sweetness and hapless innocence of the bride was presented to her, and she launched into eulogies of Lucy, and clearly showed how little she regretted her conduct. She vowed that they seemed made for each other, that both were beautiful, both had spirit, both were innocent." and to part them or make them unhappy would be, Mrs. Berry wrought herself to cry aloud, Oh, such a pity! Adrian listened to it as the expression of a matter-of-fact opinion. He took the huge quarter of cake, nodded multitudinous promises, and left Mrs. Berry to bless his good heart. So dies the system, was Adrian's comment in the street, and now let prophets roar, He dies respectably in a marriage bed, which is more than I should have foretold of the monster. Meantime, he gave the cake a dramatic tap. I'll go sew nightmares. End of chapter 31